Yep, we back with another episode of Cruise Control. Today we got my homie, my big homie, my old professor, my mentor, the woman that has kept me out of trouble. Today we have Professor Dr. Dad Shield. What's going on? Hello, hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How you feeling? I'm blessed. I'm alive. I mean, that's a lot in 2022. That's everything true. Everything that's going on. That's true. I can't complain. Good, good. So how does it feel to be a, a, a famous black professor? I wouldn't quite say famous. <laughs> uh, you famous. You out here. You got the program going. <laughs> I mean, it does feel really good. You know, just growing up the way I grew up, I didn't really have a vision right. say, for myself. I mean, it doesn't mean that I didn't have my dreams, but... You know, the world likes to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. So it wasn't until I got older that I figured out that, you know, I could do what I want. And I am capable of doing things that typically I would have looked at as, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. So I do feel very honored to not just be a professor, but to be a black female professor. Right. Talk about it. That's awesome. I think I... Definitely have a purpose. I think I make a huge difference in the lives of my students. And that's what really, you know, means the world to me. Of course, the college can always pay me more money. Of right. course. I mean, that's any job for real. <laughs> right. But I mean, I tell people all the time, maybe it's just my personal philosophy, but when I talk about wealth, wealth is not always financial right. to me. There are many ways that people can be rich. I know a lot of people who are wealthy financially, but they have no relationship with their family members. Their kids can't stand them. You know, they're suicidal and all of that. So just because someone has a lot of money, it doesn't mean that their life is good or their life is great or that they're happy. Whereas you have other people that they may be scraping from month to month to pay their bills. But if they're surrounded by friends and family who love them and those types of things, I feel like they're rich too. Right. I might not be rich financially, but I'm rich in many other ways. <laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. Now, talk about what like what it means to you to be one of the famous professors right now. Why do you why do you <laughs> famous professor? I'm just saying you like are really out here. I have like 400 Instagram followers. That, nah, you lying. I don't think that's quite famous. Nah. But, um, not no four hundred. I saw four thousand. No, it definitely is oh, not. You being 4, modest. You are Somebody definitely being modest. <laughs> you are being modest. No, I mean I think for me growing up in Prince George's County, it was very important that I stay in my community. I've had several opportunities to you know go work in Montgomery County or Anne Arundel or go across the bridge to Virginia, but it was just never appealing to me right. because I remember growing up in school. First of all, I went to private school up through eighth grade. 
Sheesh. And at the pri- I went to two two private schools primarily, but the first one, I didn't have any black teachers at all. Ooh. And I had one male teacher. I had one white male teacher. The rest were white females. Of the white females, two of them were racist, so it completely ruined my whole educational experience in elementary school. Right. And then when I got to Largo High School, then of course that was my first time having teachers of color, which was exciting. Shout out Largo. Yes, Largo. Largo. All right, calm <laughs> down. Calm down. But <laughs> when I got to Largo, it was a night and day difference. Meaning Just what? In terms of the quality of the education. Like I might not have liked the the racism or the microaggressive behavior of my teachers in elementary school, but at least they taught me content. Right. At least I could compete, you know, regionally, nationally, maybe even internationally with, with other students my age. When I got to Largo, I was like, oh my goodness. I really do think that had I chosen to stay in private school, or maybe if I had gone to a different school, maybe I would have been a little smarter. <laughs> right. I'm trying to put it in a nice way, but... It's okay. Everybody it, know it was, PG got that you no know, child left behind act. You know, I, re, I remember being in high school, and I was mad. I was mad because I felt at the time, like the whole vibe was all of the good teachers left. And I assumed at the time that maybe... They dealt with things behind the scenes, administration or with their paychecks or something like that. But for whatever reason, it seemed like a lot of the good teachers left to go teach in other counties or other states. And I felt upset because I thought to myself, well, why didn't anybody stay for students like me? Right. Like, aren't they important enough for somebody to to just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been in the county as a teacher, so I do get it. I do get it. But. I just felt very, very abandoned. So it's important to me to, as long as possible, service the students of Prince George's County, Maryland, because that's where I'm from. And I know that there's a need for good teachers in the county. We have a lot of great teachers. Right. I just wasn't lucky enough to get all of them when I was in high school. But it means a lot to me to be um, a black teacher at, at, you know, in the county, because when I left the public school system and went to teach for the community college, I, well, originally, I didn't know that I was going to get the job as a, a community college professor. Wow. So when I left the county, I kind of felt, I felt really bad, like a sellout. And I had to leave. Like, it was bad. Now, now that I'm on the upside, I understand why all of those teachers left when I was in high school. Right. But when when I left, it really got to the point where because of health reasons, like I had, I had to leave. And I just felt like a sellout. Like, what am I going to do with my life now? I feel like I'm a high school senior all over again. I have no idea. Because I was ready to get out of the education industry altogether. And then I got the opportunity to teach at the community college. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Because I can still service the students of Prince George's County, but just on a different level. So I feel very honored to do what I do. And I'm trying very hard to maintain and stay here even though people are making it difficult Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> I know I'm what that means. <laughs> listen. Listen. They drive me crazy. Uh oh. But before uh, what I mean um you know made me lose my question. What <laughs> did you have any teachers that made an impact on you? Like 
Absolutely. So. Okay, let me um, be specific. Any black teachers? Okay. So a majority of my teachers at Largo High School were black. So I will say that was one of the pluses. My principal was a black male. Well, two of the principals there. Well, I think all of the principals that were there when I was there were black males. So it was just really cool to see that because I had never seen that before. Right. But out of all of my teachers, and I know I'm going to sound like the biggest dork in the world, and I embrace it, and I'm okay with it, okay? I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. <laughs> the teachers that had the greatest impact on me were my choir teachers and my two band directors. Mm. So the art and, teachers, basically. Yes. Like, literally, with all of the, the stress and the depression and all of that that I went through in high school, it was those classes that kept me going and that preserved my mind. And and not just because of the music, but just them as teachers. They were great. They were wonderful. They were great examples. They encouraged me. They saw things in me that I didn't even see in myself. So they really helped build my confidence. Right. And it's because of them that I can honestly say I do not regret going to Largo High School. Mm. I, I really don't. I don't regret it because... They were that amazing. And I had other good professors, I mean, good teachers as well. But those three in particular, um, Mr. Jeremiah Murphy, he was my choir director. And then Mr. Russell Wright, he was my band director for the first three years I was there. And then Mr. Michael Fitzhugh took over my senior year. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Fitzhugh, he came from Howard University. And when I was a senior, I just knew I was going to North Carolina A&T. Needless to say, that didn't work out. And I ended up at Howard University, and he transferred back to Howard that same year. So I had him my senior year at Largo, and then I also had him as a band director in college. So it was really cool it worked to be out. able to keep in touch with him and all of that. So It definitely yeah, worked out for you. Yeah, they changed my life. They did. So they how, did. how are you incorporating, like, black excellence in your curriculum, in your everyday curriculum, from, like, oh. from not having it when you were younger to – being, you know, proud about it every day in your curriculum? Well, in general, I like to add a multicultural flair to my courses. So I do make it about black excellence, but I also make it about Latinx excellence. And, you know, I make it about Asian excellence right. and whatever, whatever students are in my class, I try my best to make sure that they're represented in my curriculum. Um, I set it up on purpose so that when we do our culture and tradition unit, they can bring stuff to the table and they essentially educate us about their culture. And I tell them all the time, just because we both identify as a part of the black culture, that doesn't mean we have the same experience because mm. people like to act like black people are all the same. We are not all the same. Hold on. Break that I down, love, Steph. You got to break that mm -hmm. down. For the people that's I love listening. gospel music and I love classical music and I love go-go mm. and I love rock. Like we like to make it seem like black people are just one thing, but we're so many things. Black people love anime. Black people love soccer. Black people love swimming. Country and music. Country music. We started country music, you know, Talk about we're it. not just, we're not just gangster rap and baby mamas and, Drug deals gone wrong. So <laughs> right, and love and hip hop and Real Housewives of Atlanta, like that that doesn't represent black culture in my opinion. Right. So 
I really, really enjoy doing that, you know, with my students because it's different every semester and I learn so much. One of our homework assignments is to go find an authentic restaurant from somebody else's culture, try the food out and then come back and report to class how everything was. So we really, really uh, have fun with that. But yeah, I I definitely try and expose my students to the information that I know they will, will not typically get. Right. You know, like when I talk about Black History Month with my students, we don't talk about, and I don't say this in a shady way at all, we do not talk about Martin Luther King, we do not talk about Rosa Parks, although they are great. I'm tired of them only telling the same five Black stories. Over and time. over. Mm-hmm. Like Black excellence is more than just Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman. More than that. So we talk about the Harlem Renaissance movement. We talk about how blacks migrated to Harlem and used art, all types of art, paintings, carvings, music, literature, dance, all of that as a way to not only uh, share with the world uh, our experiences with racism and oppression, but also kind of as like a a healing, not a healing tool, but a coping mechanism, Mm. you know, channeling all of that anger and all of that rage into something that can turn into something that's beautiful or writing our stories down so that our literature can be included in the canon so that our stories are told as well. So I love going through that unit with the students because I tell them all the time, social media is great, but we need to write our stories down. Right. We need to write, especially with all of the things that we're experiencing in our lifetime, like from September 11th, that happened when I was a senior, to we've had just political uh, changes, obviously, that are historical in nature. Mm. We, we've dealt with the coronavirus. Like there are a lot of things that think about it. When our grandchildren and our great grandchildren are in school, they're going to be learning about these things in their history classes. Hopefully. Hopefully. I, I hopefully. Because it's a lot of things that our grandparents said, hey, you guys are going to be learning about this. And we right. have not. That's true. That is true. But that leads back to my point that I really try to stress to my students importance of literature Mm. in a way it makes us immortal right you know hercules will never die because they're always reading greek mythology everyone knows who romeo and juliet are everyone knows uh atticus finch and scout and jim and And you know because these are characters that are consistently brought to life because the students are reading about them every year in school so our stories need to be resurrected and retold and retold too and revamped yeah so i enjoy it it's an honor i get it now let's go back to the racism in the workplace have you ever experienced that or are you experiencing that right now Sir, you were there, okay? (laughs) You were there in my office during office hours as I'm sitting there venting, okay? Just cussing and fussing the whole time. Mm. Sir, I am a young black female. Of course, I experienced racism in the workplace. How, How did you deal with it? And how did you heal from it? There is no healing when it's still going on. Mm. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. 
how how have I dealt with it or how am I dealing with it? Yeah. It's definitely causing me to grow up because I typically tend to be and I know people laugh when I say this, but I'm actually very shy in real life, especially when we're in like a classroom setting or a workplace setting. I like to hide. I like to be in the background. My students know me to be silly and loud and classy, bougie, ratchet and all of that. But people on campus, I'm like ghost. Like people don't see me. I'm in there working with students. I'm in there teaching my classes and then I'm out. So it's the situations that I've dealt with have really forced me to be a little bit more vocal and aggressive to the point where I have had to pull people aside and say, we need to have some difficult conversations because I'm feeling, Mm. and it may not be your reality, but I'm feeling like I'm receiving a lot of microaggressive behavior from you, whether you're uh, cognizant of it or not, but I just want to, just have a chance to talk about it and and see where this is coming from. Mm. You know, so I've had to be a lot more vocal because I think sometimes as black people, we deal with it so much. If we fought it every single time, it would exhaust us. It becomes so numb. A lot of us, yeah, a lot of us get to the point where it's just like you just let it roll off your back, like, oh well, just get over it. And in a workplace environment, that's a little tricky because if you let them get away with it the first time, they're going to continue to do it. Try a second and a third and a fourth, you know. So I've, I've had tons of situations where I've had to kind of speak up and speak out. I've had to stand up for myself way more. This is recently as last week. First of all, people steal my ideas all the time. That's a fact. I've seen and it. And I'm, I'm okay with people enjoying my ideas. What I'm not okay with is people like when I say the idea in a meeting, people respond and they're like, oh, well, that's an idea. You know, like they're trying to pay me. Right. And then I turn around and it's a faculty meeting and then they're, oh yeah, we're going to do digital badges for students and we're going to do this. What? Digital badges? That sounds real familiar to what I said in the meeting when you were trying to play me. Like when I said something dumb. Jeez. So I deal with that a lot and how I've learned to deal with that is to shut my mouth. I don't give my ideas anymore mm. because the reality is there are lots of other colleges and universities that pay me for my ideas. That's a fact. <laughs> so on my job, let's be clear. I get a paycheck, but they do not pay me for the work that I truly do. And deserve. Right. You know, what they give me in that paycheck is more like, you know, you go to church and they take up a, a collection for you and <laughs> a piece of, it's like, like that collection may be a lot or yeah. it may be a little, but you know, it's just a token. A token of love. Paycheck, yeah, that paycheck is a token of their love. It's definitely nowhere near uh, reflective of the work that I truly do mm. as not just a professor, but as a coordinator as well. And you know, I'm extra. So I go over and above for everything and that's exhausting when you have an institution that's like sucking you dry, not compensating you properly, stealing your ideas and then turning around and making it seem like, oh, you're a horrible professor. Why are your success rates so low? And what? My success rates are low because your uh, institution doesn't know how to properly run itself and people get tired of it and they leave. Trash. Don't try to put that on me. That's a fact. Okay. I mean, to all the to all the youth and the 
you little young people out there that's listening, it's okay to go to community college. You just find the right community smart. college. I'm actually a little jealous. I wish I would have done it because you know how it is. You hear you hear people saying smart things like, oh, that's the 13th grade and uh, you're not going to get the real college experience. Well, what is the real college experience? Because they a lot of people that I know, life. right, well, people that I know who've experienced a real college experience, they, they didn't even finish college. Fact. They had so much with that real college experience. They ended up dropping out because they got pregnant. They ended up dropping out because their grades were so low, they couldn't hold on to their scholarships. They couldn't afford to pay for it. Sheesh. Like when I went to Howard, and we're talking about 2002, mm. when I went to Howard, my tuition was 25000 a year. If I would have saved that money and instead gone to community college, I would not be stuck with the enormous amount of student loans that I have today. Right. Because of my student loans, I cannot be great. Like, it doesn't matter how, unless I become a millionaire very soon, then it, I just, my student loans will not let me be great. So community college is a great way to get the education you need in a way that saves you money. Hold on. I mean, you said how much was it at Howard? 25000 and that was back in 2002. Nah. Absolutely yeah. not. With yeah. everything that they got going on right now? Right. Was it, see, was see, it like I was that? that? I was on that, um, you know, it's one of the best HBCUs, and it's all about who you know, and the Howard Network, you know, gives you some advantages in the workplace. When I say every single job that I have worked, they did not care that my degree was from Howard. They just wanted a transcript that showed that I finished an accredited bachelor's program, and that's it. So I paid all of that extra money for the name for nothing. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Some people would say, well, did you did you um, network? Did you? I absolutely did not. Because I was telling the truth when I said I'm very shy, I'm very reserved, and I've had to learn how to be more outspoken and network more. But this is a skill that I'm just now developing within the last 10 years. Wow. If we're talking about when I was 18, 19, 20, whose job is it to teach you how to network? That's real. If your parents don't teach you, if the school system doesn't teach you, a lot of us are not born just having those skills. Mm, They have to be developed. Yeah, so... I just wasn't in a place where that was something I was able to do. But once I got older and I realized like, oh, okay, you scratch my back and I scratch yours. Okay, I get it. I see how this works now. I've gotten a lot, a lot better at networking um, in my older age. (laughs) But back to your original question, I think students who go to community college are very smart. Because as much as they say that my institution is this and my institution is that, every institution has ups and downs, strengths and weaknesses. But one of the things that I can honestly say is a lot of the instructors I work with are so smart and knowledgeable in their areas. And I do not feel like, say, if I I sent my children to to PGCC or community college or Montgomery College or Anne Arundel Community College or whatever community college, I don't feel like they would be getting 
less of an education. I don't. Because mm-hmm. when I say some of my colleagues are super rigorous, their courses are super rigorous. They're super strict. They hold their students accountable. Like it's the real world over there. Right. So I definitely think it's a great alternative. Now, granted, if somebody has the money to spend forty five thousand a year on college instead of fifteen thousand, then fine. I don't think going to a four year institution is bad. Right. But for a lot of the other people, it, I do think it's a wise decision. And then, of course, there's the option of just getting high grades so that you can get scholarships and you can choose to go wherever you want. That's true. And plus, you ain't got to stay there the whole, what, two years? You can do Right. Like- you can transfer. And a lot of students end up at a four-year college. So they still get two years of the college or the traditional college experience. So you can have the best of both worlds. You can save money and you can still get the traditional college experience. Just transfer. And I remember when I was a freshman, you taught me the, um, when I was trying to, what school was that I was trying to go to? I think it was what? Bowie? Yeah. Bowie. Bowie. And you were just like, man, just. You were real serious about Bowie. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I really don't. But, um, you you taught me it was like get all A's on your first semester then transfer. I was like, What? He was like, Yeah. You get all A's, they'll mm-hmm. give you a scholarship mm-hmm. and go from there. And it's a took, lot of people don't realize college is really a hustle. Right. It is. And at the end of the day, you can use your grades as a way to get what you need. The higher your GPA, the more opportunities you'll have. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying the only way to get scholarships and grants, because that's the only thing that exists in my world. Student loans, mm -mm, no, we are allergic to those. But scholarships and grants, (laughs) you do not have to move back. And just to be clear, there are institutional scholarships, you know, that come from that specific school you attend. But then there are also private scholarships. And this is what a lot of people don't realize. Not every scholarship is tied to your GPA, but a lot of them are. Right. So if you have a high GPA, you apply for those scholarships and you go apply for the other ones that aren't tied to GPA. And you have a situation where, <clears throat> I mean, it really is like a hustle. When I went to Howard, so my tuition was 25000 right? I, my freshman year, I got a bunch of like smaller uh private scholarships. But when you added them up, it ended up coming up to about 35000 So I got a $10,000 refund check. Mm. Now, at the time, my mom made me just put it all in the bank and not touch it. And I'm glad she did because I ended up losing my scholarship. So that's a story for another day. But you let's said say 10 I grand? Yeah. Ooh. So let's say I didn't lose my scholarship. Most of those scholarships would have renewed if I would have kept my grades high. So I could have gotten that $10,000 refund check every year. And what if I had applied for more scholarships? Then my refund check would have been even higher. Mm. And you can use that refund check to pay for your your um, housing, apartment, car, like any school-related expenses. You have to have a place to sleep. You have to have a way to get to school, whether it's Uber or public transportation or your own vehicle, food you have to eat. You need a new laptop so that you can log into your classes. 
So any school-related expense, essentially, you can use your scholarship money on. And a lot of students aren't realizing that they're missing out on taking advantage of those opportunities simply because they're not applying for the scholarship. Wow. And you know who is applying for the scholarship? Mm-hmm. The privileged student. Yep. And I think we all know who I'm talking about. So the clear people. Right. So if they if they're getting the scholarship and they don't need them because mommy and daddy make five hundred thousand dollars a year, mm. then my students definitely deserve to have scholarships as well. And that's another one of the benefits of going to community college, or at least in Maryland, community college is now free for a lot of students. So when you file your FAFSA, there's an option that says do you want, you know, are you interested in the free community college? I don't know what the official name is, but you select that. And I'm sure they have certain criteria, but if you fit their criteria, you can go to the community college for free or for minimal cost. Mm. And then if you apply for some scholarships, then they're going to send the scholarship money to your institution. And if your balance has already been paid, then they'll send you that money in a refund check. So college really is a hustle. Mm. And the fact that you're a college student means that you can save money on your phone bill. You can save money on um, insurance. You can save money on a lot of, a lot of companies have student discounts. I went to, um, I'm in a doctoral program right now. So I go to a lot of conferences and the last conference I went to, I think it was the MLA conference in DC this past January. Mm. The, the the registration fee for that conference was like $274 or something like that. But because I was a student at Sam Houston State University, virtual, of course, mm-hmm. I was able to go to that conference for $95. Wow. So if you take advantage of the student discounts and all of those perks, you really can save a lot of money. I mean, a lot of these young youngins, don't you really right now. <laughs> I mean at this point hey I accept it but a lot of these youngins really do they the ones that I know really do take advantage of these student discounts like mm-hmm. they are on it okay so the ones that don't take advantage I'm glad I hope they're listening right you get what I'm saying but let's get into this Students teaching teachers because that's why you're here. Okay, that's what blew you up. You know, you on TikTok, you you all on the news and stuff. Okay, I'm hyping you up. Anyway, (laughs) we definitely are. (laughs) Hey man, so so students teaching teachers is a program that Professor Annette Savoy and I came up with. We were talking one day, and... You are definitely an English teacher. Why? <laughs> and I. And I. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. So, me and Anessa Boy, or whatever, we was talking, we was rapping one day, and we was like, um, we low-key learn a lot from our students. We do. Because I was annoyed by the fact that <clears throat> there's kind of an unspoken cocky air that we professors have sometimes like we're the experts and we have the degrees and you're here to get our knowledge. 
But the reality is our students are very knowledgeable in many ways as well, especially when it comes to technology, especially when it comes to fun, innovative learning activities in the classrooms. And one of the things I was telling Professor Savoy is being in this doctoral program, it's irritating to me that I keep reading study after study after study after study. And what I've noticed is that in all of these studies, in every single study I had to read at that time, it's always some type of problem going on in somebody's college or somebody's institution. It's a problem that they're trying to explore. It's a problem that they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So it might be something like, why aren't English students engaging? Student engagement. Why is student engagement low? Why is student motivation low? Why is student success low? It's always some issue they're trying to, to figure out. And they'll literally, it feels like they're, they're grasping for straws. Like, well, maybe if we start this tutoring program, then it will increase student success. Maybe if we do this, then it will increase student motivation. So let's do a whole study where we try this theory out. And then you read all of these pages of this study just to get to the conclusion or the results section to find out, oh, it didn't really make a difference. Motivation was still low or it did make a difference or whatever. Mm. But one of the things that I realized is a lot of these people are not going to the students and including them in the conversation. And it's just, it's crazy to me. If we want to know why students aren't motivated, ask the students. Right. That's like, common sense. Straight to the source. Why are you spending all of this energy grasping for straws when you can include students on the conversation? Why don't we have more students serving on college committees? Why don't we have students going to faculty meetings? Why don't we have students that are, are on the team with the vice president and the president and the, 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 the board and whatever, why aren't we including students more in all aspects of college life? Because essentially they're the people that we're servicing. So I just, I don't understand. So Professor Savoy and, and me, we said, why don't we come up with a program called Students Teaching Teachers and it's a program that essentially encourages collaboration between students and faculty in and out of the classroom. So any opportunity to get students and teachers together, talking, learning from each other, is essentially the goal of the program. And we let's be clear, it's an external program. It's mm. an external program that we are piloting at Prince George's Community College. That you guys are building. Year. Yes. Mm. So the long-term goal is we plan on presenting at conferences and doing keynote speeches. We plan on traveling the world and teaching everybody about this program and showing them how they can implement this program at their institutions. And we also plan on taking it to the K-12 level as well. But we just think students should play more of an active role in what the learning process looks like in the classroom. Yes, the professors and the teachers are experts in the content, but why can't the students at least contribute to their own learning by saying, hey, this is how we like to learn. These are the sites we like to see teachers using. This is, these are the activities we like engaging in. And we know it's going to change every year. Mm -hmm. When you were my student, the hot thing was Twitter in the classroom. Now, most of my students don't even have a Twitter account. It wasn't it's Twitter. It's all about Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. That is so, cap. You know you just cap. <laughs> it was not Twitter. It was more like Snapchat. 
You tripping. Well, you just admitted you you were old. <laughs> I think it was definitely Twitter when you were my student. No, it was not. You were using Twitter, but we, oh, the hottest goodness. thing out okay. was not we'll Twitter. Say you were, we'll say you were on the tail end of the Twitter movement. Okay, thank the you. The very end. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, but you know, my, my main point is it's refreshing to hear from students, hey, this is what you are, are doing that we like mm. and we want you to keep doing. Like, for example, one of the students told us how much they love Kahoot. And I was shocked because love to in what? my mind, Kahoot. You know, it's like where you, the teacher puts up, the, the code and you type in the website oh, and you put the code in and yeah, yeah, you can yeah. answer the questions from your phone and have thing. an honor. Yeah. So I was shocked when she said that college students love Kahoot because in my mind, Kahoot is something that is used on the K-12 level a lot, elementary, middle, and high school. Mm. So I just assumed that by the time they got to college, they would be like, oh my gosh, not Kahoot again. I'm too mature for this. No, nah, they was but when they found out, they were like, nah, Kahoot is lit. We still love it. So I used to use Kahoot a few years ago, and once the students of um, students teacher teachers said we actually still like Kahoot, I said okay, I'm gonna bring it back. So it was nice to have that confirmation that I was on the right track. Students do still like Kahoot; it is still relevant. And then it's also good to hear students say things like, "This is something we want to see in the classroom that's not happening." So maybe you all could explore kind of moving in this direction. So, for example, TikTok, the reason that I started really paying attention to my TikTok, because I've, I've had TikTok since, I want to say November, November of 2021, but I just, you know, I would go in there and laugh at all the stupid videos, but I didn't use TikTok for learning. And it wasn't until the students of students teaching teachers said, TikTok is a great tool that we think more professors should integrate into the classroom. Like, for example, if a student is taking a communications course and they're talking about the 60-second elevator pitch, so let's say you have an idea and you're trying to get a meeting with the CEO, like, your time is limited. Like, yeah. if you can't spark their interest in 60 seconds or less, then you need to go back to the drawing board, sis, bruh. <laughs> so they're learning the 60-second pitch. Well, TikTok lets you do 15-second to three-minute videos. Why not have them create a TikTok with their 60 second pitch. Like that could be a whole assignment. It could be a whole project. Right. It could be a group project. It could be an individual project. So they really inspired me to explore TikTok a bit more. So I spent my winter break just playing around with all the buttons. And I said, oh my gosh, I think I got it. I know how I'm going to integrate it into my class. Mm. So that's what this program is all about. We started by recruiting students. We say any student who wants to be involved with this program in any way, and for whatever amount of time, come on. So we had them submit interest forms. We had a preliminary meeting with them just to get to know them and get to know their skills and their strengths. And we put everybody through like a, a one-week training or one-week boot camp. We taught them about presentation skills, collaboration skills, communication skills, stage presence, how to respond to questions. We, we taught them about so many things. And at the college's, Professional Development and Enrichment Day, we had a panel discussion where faculty, they came, they sat in the audience, and they listened to five of our students be interviewed by, we had two moderators, and the moderators just asked them all types of questions related to college, related to learning and their preferences, 
And the faculty literally sat there and listened. They were amazed by some of the stuff that came out from that panel discussion. So it really sparked a lot of interest at mm-hmm. the college. And then from there, the students, me and Professor Savoy, we put together monthly workshops. Okay, so that was my next attend. question. Yeah, that was my next yeah. question. Like, how often is this going on? So we just randomly chose monthly workshops. We, When I say this was new, we literally were building as we went. Mm-hmm. Because we wanted it to be authentic, we wanted it to be organic, and we wanted the students to have a say in what the program looked like as well. So when we all met, we said we think it would be great to do monthly workshops on a Wednesday around lunchtime. And we thought it would be a good idea to have like face-to-face workshops, but also, you know, the Zoom call would be activated as well for people who couldn't physically attend. So that's what we did for the fall semester. And then, of course, COVID and Omarion and all of them complicated things. So we're virtual for the rest of the school year, but we're still doing those monthly workshops. So in October, I think the workshop was focused on technology students love to see in the classroom. And then November specifically focused on integrating TikTok into the higher ed classroom. We took a break for December because, you know, Christmas break. Mm. Hello. And then January, Professor Savoy and I used that workshop to talk about all of the great information we've learned from working with the students, the great information that we think all faculty would want to know. And then in February, we had a integrating LGBTQIA plus experiences into the classroom. That's fine. Workshop. And then March 9th, we have um, a students with disabilities or increasing support for students with disabilities. So that's our March session. And we're still working on the April session, but April will be our last month. But I love it because these workshops are not led by Professor Savoy or myself. These workshops are essentially led by the students of students teaching teachers. We teach them and train them on how to put together presentation materials, how to deliver presentations, stage presence, engaging the audience. So they're getting real life applicable skills. They're getting skills that can be applied to the workforce, you know, and they're growing and they're learning from it. And we really are like becoming a family and all of that corny stuff. We check in sometimes, like, how's everything going? And we're all like, we're stressed out. (laughs) So we'll have a vent session and we'll lift each other up and then we'll go back out there and tackle the world. So, so far, things are going really well. You know, of course, there are always complications because COVID won't let any of us be great. But considering everything, I'm really pleased with how everything's progressed so far. I believe you deserve an applause. I really do. Because that's a lot. If you really sit there and, like, try to gather all the information you just dropped, a lot of people tuned out. I'm just being truthful with you because that's a lot. It's a lot. And that's a part about, you know, giving back. that's That's a huge platform to give back. And at the end of the day, it's about giving the students the platform and the opportunity to share their ideas because they have great ideas. Who's doing that? Who is allowing students to share their ideas and actually have them be heard and implemented? So do you feel like these bigger institutions lack creativity for their students? Absolutely. Mm. 
And I think a lot of it is because most professors do what they're comfortable with or they do what their professors did. A lot of, a lot of my colleagues are not willing to evolve and change with the times because change is scary to a lot of people, mm. you know, and not everyone is skilled at training others. So you have to find the right people who can train them because listen, I have sat through a lot of professional development that was pointless. I mean, I didn't learn anything. They put me to sleep. So it, it's really a difficult thing to maneuver. It's really not as easy as it may seem to the student's eyes, but we're trying to chip away and, and make a difference one day at a time. That's dope. I'm proud of you for which you, so. you know, for even helping me when I was in school and still helping me and you I helping so. more and more and more and more people that were just like me. And that, I, Hey, I'm proud of you. Like I keep saying, that's like, you know, I will, I will text you at two o'clock in the morning, like, "Hey, apply for this." Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is true. Like, very true. Put me down. Put me down as a reference. <laughs> but um, how? We live in a different time, obviously, with everything going on. We got people invading other countries, and just you—you you have a lot going on. Students have a lot going on. Such it may, mm-hmm. it may be family, it may be work, it may be school. When you were in school, did you even know about or um, acknowledge mental health? Oh, that didn't exist when I was in school. Mm. So my my parents' generation they were they were what's called baby boomers. So mental health, what? There, there was no emphasis, care or concern for mental health. It was suck it up or pray about it. That That's how my parents' generation handled things. So when I was coming up, there, there was no mental health support. There was no counseling, therapy. There was no self-care. There was none of that. And that is the one thing that I love about the, the millennial generation, the zennial generation. You know, every generation tries to do more than the previous generation was able to do. Right. You know, this is not to shade the baby boomers because they had certain um, difficulties that we don't have to face today, just like we have difficulties that they didn't have to face when they were coming up. But I love that our generations are putting such an emphasis on hashtag self-care, hashtag mental awareness. You know, we're normalizing things like depression and anxiety because many of us have it. Yeah. Many of us and have it. And don't acknowledge it. And don't ignore, some people don't know, like I did not realize, because I've always known since I was a young child that I struggled with anger issues, but I had no idea that that was my anxiety. Whoa. I thought thought anxiety was like hyperventilating in a brown paper bag. Me too. And cartoons, but anxiety can manifest differently in other people. You know, what do they call fight, flight, or freeze, you know? Different people have different reactions. Mine is fight. So when I'm feeling anxious, I'm like, I go into tiger mode where somebody else, they may freeze. Somebody else, they may cry. Somebody else, they may actually hyperventilate. So a lot of times when I'm triggered, my natural response is anger. And my therapist had to teach me, Stephanie, that's not the only way you can respond. And I'm like, what? What you talking about, Willis? Huh? (laughs) That's normal. That's natural. She's like, no. She said, that's the way you're used to doing things, but you have other options. 
And so I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. So I gave her this scenario. I said, say I'm on the metro, and this stranger dude bumps me and rushes past me. And he's like, move, B, get out the way. The natural response would be, who the f- is you talking to? Right. And she was like, no, that's your response. She said, I am more of an observer, and I would look at that guy and say to myself, wow, he must really be going through something for him to be acting like this. And it sounds like the dumbest story in the world. But when I say it was such an aha moment for me, because I was like, oh, so I don't have to cuss them out. And it it really empowered me to be more in control of my response, especially for a stranger. Like, why am I using my energy in that way to cuss out a stranger for what? I think about all the times I was on the road giving people middle fingers because they cut me off. <laughs> now, like, you cut me off. Go ahead, boo. <laughs> I hope you get where you're going safely because I don't have time to be caught up in that foolishness. I could definitely see you on the road just I was giving I was everybody horrible. middle fingers. Listen, I had such anger problems. I did, but not anymore because hashtag therapy works. Ain't, but you got to find the right therapist. Though. You even told me. When even way, way, way back, you was like, Kendall, you got really need to, you know, find a therapist. Because that's when I was telling you, like, man, I'm really having a problem with uh, death, like people leaving this world. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, so many during that time, so many of my family members were just dropping. Yeah, and you even, did have a lot in a short time period. Like friends, family, and it was just like, all right, I'm feeling depressed, like. And I usually always used to come to your office and just spill it all. And you like, you know, you can go downstairs and get a, you know, a therapist. I, I don't understand why y'all are so opposed to it. It wasn't y'all even that. Eight free counseling sessions as students at, at our institution. And they so, don't advertise that. Some, I tell, you know, I tell my students and yep. they still don't go. But imagine how many, the, the, the rest of the, 30,000 students don't know that. I don't think you all realize how dope that is in real life. Hell yeah, that's dope. I have, I have great insurance, but even with my insurance, I have to pay a $25 copay every time I see my therapist. If I see my therapist once a week, that's $100 a month. That's a lot of money over time. So to be able to have eight free therapy sessions for, for nothing, that's huge. Because even without good insurance, I know some of my, like my sister, she pays $65 per session, and that's with insurance. If you don't have insurance, you're talking about $150 and up per session. So to have eight free sessions, I think it's a year. To have eight free sessions a year, that's amazing. And I remember when you were going through that with, you know, losing a lot of people that you loved. It was a noticeable difference in your personality, in your mood. And a lot of people think depression is when you're sad. That's not depression. That's called sadness. There are times in life where it's normal to be sad. And you have different phases. Mm -hmm. And you're still in that place. That's what's not normal. And you had been kind of sad for a while. And I was like, you need to go sit on my couch. And I know you know that my initial thought, like, oh, she's trying to be funny. But when you actually like printed out the information, was like, yo, go down here. I was just like, okay, she's a real one. And let me guess, you still didn't go, did you? No, I I still go to this day. 
Shout out to Dr. Oh, Brian. Yeah. Like people, I'm so proud of you. And that's the first time I've ever even told people, like, yes, I have a therapist. I believe every black man should have a therapist. Hashtag, especially, listen, especially black men. If nobody else has a therapist, a black man should have a therapist because what the world puts on you all's back is just ridiculous. Like, I'm tired of going downtown and seeing my black brothers box in the air in a full sweat on a 20 degree day and sitting here smoking their lives away, drinking their lives away, drugging their lives away, sleeping on the street. Like a lot of times people break because it gets to be too much. Right. And no matter how strong you are at the end of the day, if you're a heart surgeon, if you're the best heart surgeon in the world, you can't do heart surgery on yourself. Facts. And I'm so, still going through it. I'm still going through the whole, you know, losing. I just lost one of my closest homies two months ago. Um, you I'm get what lost. I'm saying? But yeah. I had a safe space where I can talk about it. Like a lot of right. people that I went to high school with or I, I'm friends with, they be like, bro, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you, you don't be joking no more. It's just, or, or, uh, or you changed, you know, but. Mm-hmm. Therapy has helped me to the point where it's like now I know those joke when I was joking back then th- that mm-hmm. was a that was a mask when I right. you know constantly joke constantly joke you know it's right. always on joke time people are like oh you just so you just so goofy no that was just a mask right that I was putting on because I was really depressed you get what I'm saying mm-hmm. like two months ago when when my uh, homie died I was just like. I felt myself going back to that stage of depression until my therapist was like, you know, there's really no timetable on grieving. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, and I had to stop and like, dang, like, you're right. There's mm-hmm. really no timetable. And he was just telling me like, look, my father passed back in 1981 and I still mm-hmm. grieve. Yep. And I'm just That's like, dang, you know, but and when, if you would have taken that to one of your friends or family members, no shade to your friends or family members, but you know we have a lot of people that aren't qualified to help people through those types of situations. So they say things like, "Oh, you'll be all right. You just need to, you know," and they'll give us this advice that is just completely counterproductive to what we need in that moment. So you need to understand that your auntie, unless she went to school and trained to be a, a clinical therapist or, or counselor, she don't know. She does not have the skills. I mean, she may give good advice, but she doesn't really have the skills to be able to spot the mental illness and have specific strategies for how to address it and all of that. And the reality is, is if you don't sit on somebody's couch, you'll find a way to cope. Yeah. But is that the healthiest way of coping? Some people eat their feelings. Some people drink a little too much. Some people take their anger out on their kids. Right. Like people find ways to cope, but the question is, is it healthy? So what I love about therapy is, you know, so another thing I suffer from is depression. My therapist refuses to call it seasonal affective disorder, even though I think that's what it is. Mm. Essentially I'm depressed every October through, I'd say about March, April. And the reason she won't diagnose me is because my depression is tied to my father passing away in October of 2002. And then because him and my mom split up, I didn't grow up with him a lot, but I was always guaranteed to see him on Christmas. 
So it's like, okay, Christmas is coming up. I get to see daddy, you know? And then I realize, oh, dang, he's not here no more. And it's like, boom, I'm back in the depression. And his birthday was, was January. My birthday is March. I mean, not March. My birthday is February. And then Easter, we normally will always see him. So that's why it's those specific months. But I deal with this every single year. Like all of my best friends already know. You know, that October, okay, Stephanie going to start acting a little funny. Just give her her space. She's all right. right. But you get to the point where you start picking up on the warning signs. Like, there are little things that I do once I notice that it's happening where I can kind of catch myself so I don't go too deep in it. And therapists oftentimes practice certain skills with you. So one of the things that I do that's very toxic is I replay traumatic events in my mind all the time. And I don't do it on purpose. It's just the way my brain is. It's hard for me to sleep at night because my brain is always like going, 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 going. So my therapist literally had to teach me, this is what you do to stop this happening. This is how you redirect your thoughts. This is what's happening. And then she explained it to me from a scientific standpoint. Every time you relive those, those memories, you're putting your neurons through the trauma again. Your neurons don't know that it's a memory. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's torture. She said, exactly. You're torturing yourself every time you relive that memory. So I'm very proud of you for getting therapy, sticking to it, and I'm glad that you see the benefits of it because it really does make a difference. Most definitely. It definitely does. And I understand now, like, I do have to encourage some of my homies like to go get therapy, even mm-hmm. if that's like with my doctor or somebody they can, you know, go to. I don't know, but I have to do better at, you know, telling them like, yo, it's OK if you go to therapy. I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So I think I'm going to do that more. I think that's good because. That's another thing I think our generations do very well. We're a little more open and we share more. Because, yeah. you know, back in the day, it's whatever happens in this house, stay in this house. And you don't need people all in family business. And that's why uncles sitting here molesting nieces and yep. fathers sitting here molesting sons. and Generational kind of curse. That's, how, that's the beginning talk, of generational curse. For real, for real. Exactly. But that's a whole so other conversation. I think it's good that we're more open about the experiences that we're going through because what we find is that we're not the only ones. There are a lot of people that are going through the same things and it makes you feel like less of an alien when you realize, oh, shoot, you went through that too? Oh, okay, well, maybe I'm more normal than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Man. But yeah, that's all I have for today. I really wanted uh-huh. to touch on that mental health. Listen, Hashtag mental health matters. Always. I appreciate you. Like, for real. Well, I thank you for the opportunity. And if any of your listeners want to keep in touch, they can follow me on Instagram or TikTok <laughs> at Professor-Shill. That's at Professor D-A-S-H-I-E-L-L. And warning, I am completely inappropriate sometimes, so just be ready. A complete nut. <laughs> Just hey, just being truthful. <laughs> but def- you was never bored in my class, though. That's so. a fact, and more about life. <laughs> All right, appreciate you for coming on, man. Like that was really good. I hope the people listening learn, 
or learn something to pass you, on. You surprised me with that therapy thing. That boy opened up. Hey, yeah, I had to. That 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 was it right there. Like whoever was listening, I think that was the magic moment. They're gonna be like, "What?" No, nah, for what real though. Know? Some people be like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you going out tonight?" Mm, I got a lot sometimes. Like, uh, I got therapy. Say, I want to say like I got therapy. Somebody be like, "Nah, I got work." For mm-hmm. real, for real. But that's a, that was just me being, you know, uh, ashamed. I guess. Yeah, but you think know. about how many lives you can save by being more open about it. Facts. You know what's crazy? Um, shout out to my neighbor. He passed last year, and um, oh, I could have, you know. I'm not going to put that on me, but I could have at least put it in the air. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying to, yeah. um, to, to, you know, get it, get his mind right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he, unfortunately he committed suicide, but still I could have anybody just put it in the air Yeah. to, 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 for somebody to make their own decision. Like, Hey, let me give it a try or like mm, I don't think that's for me it is what it is but at least right. put it in the air and that that's where you know I kind of have you know mixed feelings like yeah. oh, I could have did that you know we I get it we, we shouldn't have been talking about sports that day we could have been talking about mental health but I'm pretty sure he's in a better place I know he's with God man so shout out to him you were there when um, I was going through all the fertility stuff and miscarriages and oh, yeah. I finally got pregnant with my son and then more miscarriages and then finally got pregnant with my daughter. And I was very, even though it was a difficult thing for my husband not to experience on my Facebook page, I was very open about everything. Like I would take videos of my fertility appointments and I took them through the whole process. And of course, my parents are like, oh my God, you putting all your business out there. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd say there were at least six or seven couples that reached out to me privately, like, oh my gosh, we're going through the same thing. Or when they had their miscarriage, they reached out to me like, I remember you shared your story. I just lost my baby. I don't know what to do. And we were able to kind of coach them through that situation. You know, and I'm happy to report that all of those couples now have been able to conceive, have their children, and some of them have too. Shout so out that God. <laughs> that is a blessing, but I just think to myself, like, if I had not shared, then I would have robbed myself of an opportunity to be a blessing in all of their lives. And now when I see their children growing up, I smile extra hard because I'm like, I know we played a role in getting them there. You know? <laughs> right. You just so don't I think know. Sharing is one of the most powerful things you can do because people are going to do what they want at the end of the day, but at least you all had that on your con- conscience because you told them, you know, good advice and if they didn't listen then that was a choice they made most deaf mm-hmm. well Steph we about to end it homie I appreciate uh-huh. you for coming on okay. I appreciate well, everything you do I appreciate <laughs> you for being a strong black woman out here in a white man's institution no I'm just right. kidding <laughs> but for real I appreciate you sis like All right. you will never know you know, it's all love over here. You already know. But, <laughs> hey, as we close out, I hope y'all understand, like, mental health is real. It is serious. Take care of your mental health. And look, so for all the youth out there that don't know 
or the, the seniors, the whoever, if you don't know what you really want to do, take the time out and figure it out. It's okay that you, if you don't want to go to college, you don't have to go to college, but do something. If you can wake up every morning and do what you love, what would that do? And I'm going to leave y'all with that.